Well, good morning, church. Thank you for joining us today. It has been, oh, 10, 12 months of challenges. Why not yet another one? It is good to be here in our Pioneer Series as we're working through the book of Acts, and I pray it's been a real joy for you as we examine the faith of so many of the apostles and key characters in the book of Acts. I think you'll really be blessed by today. We're gonna be talking about, it's gotta be the most famous conversion story in all of church history, and that is, yes, the conversion of Saul on the road to Damascus. Hey, now each week we have taken the time to point out a pioneer, someone who has demonstrated a whatever whenever, however type of faith. And uh, today, we are going to look at uh, another young lady here, okay? Um, We're back in the, you know, we're heading back into the 1800s again. I'm gonna read from Christianity today just a little bit of her story. Um, She wrote thousands, okay? Not hundreds, thousands of hymns, some of which are among the most popular in every Christian denomination. She wrote so many that she was actually forced to use pen names lest the hymnals be filled too much with her name. And for most people, the most remarkable thing about her was not that she had done so, but that she had done so in spite of her blindness. Wow. One well-meaning preacher went up to her one time and said, I think it is a great pity that the master did not give you sight when he showered you with so many other gifts. Yet she responded at once because she had heard that comment before. Do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one petition, it would have been that I was born blind. Wow. You can see why she made the pioneer list. She continued, because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. Who is our pioneer? This is none other than the famous, um, uh, maybe the greatest of all time, if you will, um, Fanny Crosby. Now, what's interesting about Fanny Crosby is her story. She, she was born and grew up in Putnam County, New York. All very humble means, but just months into her birth, she had come ill. And the family doctor, obviously house calls during that time period, the family doctor was out of town. And so another doctor came in. And I guess this would happen from time to time, but they literally referred to these doctors as quacks. Uh, They would come in and fake that they were doctors even at this time. And he came up with some sort of solution or, or something, put it on her eyes. And when she had lost her sight and it was clear to the parents, he actually had fled town. So in some ways, it seems that maybe Fanny has lost her sight due to some sort of malpractice. Very sad. Months later, she lost her father. Her mother was widowed and they ended up moving out of town. They actually made a trip up to New York City to see if they could meet a doctor that maybe somehow could reverse the possible damage that had been done but there was no hope. And in this little girl's journal at eight years old, you wanna see a budding poet? At eight years old, she wrote this. Oh, what a happy soul am I. 
Although I cannot see, I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. Eight years old. This this young little thing is blessed with an incredible, incredible talent. And it's said that she would memorize lengthy passages of scripture. It's even said she has memorized a full book of the scriptures. Wow. But it was when she was 15, 1835, in New York, they built the Institute for the Blind. And when it opened, she applied and was accepted. Now, they wanted them to do just average trades, but, but no, Fanny wanted to do more. She wanted to do more and more with her writing, and, and they pushed her, and she became a star pupil there. And you can kind of see God's providence in her life because they just used to, they would bring dignitaries in to, to see this first school of the blind, many presidents. In fact, um, she wrote poems for presidents like John Quincy Adams and, and got to meet them because she was the star pupil. In fact, one time they asked her to go speak to Congress as a woman. She shared in Congress, one of the first women to ever share. And when she shared, she said how people with disability can bring so much to society. Well, did her life prove that? But you know, throughout her life, she kind of had this ache. She didn't feel an assurance I don't know about you, but you hear stories from time to time how people say, I just, I'm just not sure I got saved, so I asked again. And, and then I asked Jesus again. And the other night, the pastor was preaching and I was feeling it. I was like, I gotta, I gotta make sure I'm saved. And, and, I, and I, got, I, got, I prayed, I said, Jesus, come to my heart. Fanny, it seems to have struggled with that. And even though she knew scripture was raised in a really neat home that gave her much care, she says that she was converted to Christ and gave her life officially to Christ at 30 And that was when she really had what she would refer to later as a blessed assurance that Jesus was hers. And many of you know that great song, Blessed Assurance. In fact, we sang it just a few weeks back in church. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Well, she would write thousands more. It's said that she's written over 9,000 hymns. Here, here, are some of the, here are some of the top 10. To God be the glory. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Safe in the arms of Jesus. Rescue the perishing. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. He hideth my soul. Tell me the story of Jesus. It goes on and on and on. You know what's interesting? Safe in the arms of Jesus a, a, a preacher right before a convention needed a song and he came to her, he said, Fanny, is there any way you could give me some words? And she said, well, what do you got? He gave her a little something and they worked on it a little bit more and he said, my train leaves in 35 minutes and Fanny wrote it in under 35 minutes and it's become one of her most cherished hymns. Wow. When I look on this life, when I look on our pioneer today, I think of that quote we started with. It said, if I had a choice, I would still choose to remain blind. For when I die, the first face I will ever see will be that face of my blessed Savior. What a moment that was. When Fanny got the glory and Jesus said, there's my girl. Maybe he even sang one of her songs to her that he, I'm sure, 
helped her inspire. Oh, man. Fanny was a chosen instrument of God. And have you ever heard that phrase, a chosen instrument? Do you have any chosen instruments? I mean, I think we all have some instruments that we go, oh yeah, that's my go-to. And you're like, no, no, I'm like, I'm not a musician. Uh, uh, just stay with me for a minute. I think I can relate to all the guys here. Like guys, speak to me. Um, is this a chosen instrument of yours? I mean, I'm telling you what, I, I, when, when I first bought a house, I didn't know how much of a best friend this would be. Now, I don't know about the brand and all that stuff and how much you care about that, but I don't know what I do without this drill. And have you ever done this? Have you ever gone to use it and, and, you, and you go and it's, it's dead because you didn't put the battery in? And, and you're so mad at yourself because now you gotta wait. And, and, you, and sometimes you put the battery in the pack and you hope, hope that 30 seconds did it because I just got, I just, I really only need to put in like one picture frame or something, or I got to reinforce something that's kind of broken down. But man, what a chosen instrument. And I kind of think of a chosen instrument as something that's like special to you. <laughs> it's unique. It, it's something that's highly impactful and effective. And you just go to it over and over and over. You know, just like Chan, uh, Fanny Crosby was a chosen instrument. If you're a child of God, you're one of his chosen instruments too. Did you know that? And he wants to use you. You're very special to him. You're very useful for his purposes. And he wants to use you to make a great impact. But maybe you're out there today and that hasn't been the case yet. You haven't given your life to Christ. You don't have that blessed assurance, but you're curious. What if God wanted to use you to be his special instrument, his chosen instrument? <laughs> you, you understand, Chris? Um, you gotta see my past. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta see like, some of the stuff I've done. Um, today, I'm gonna show you that God don't care about the past. He cares about the future. And I'm gonna prove it to you with the life of Saul. Because I'm gonna bet you probably aren't as bad as him if we're doing a scale. And I wanna show you how he changed his life. And he is the man in scripture that God officially calls his chosen instrument. I pray today's message of Saul and his conversion will inspire you or maybe be your day when you say, God, I'm ready. Heavenly Father, use this text today. Use this message today to inspire us just like the life of Fanny Crosby. I mean, wow, what a woman, what a ministry, what a testimony of you. And what a joy to see how you've used her and impacted so many lives with her great songs. Heavenly Father, use this text today to sharpen us and focus us and, and, and really inspire us to maybe be used more effectively by you. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, well, we're gonna dig right in here. You guys know what's been going on. Stephen has been murdered. 
Um, persecution is going everywhere. Um, the Jews are scattering. The Hellenistic Jews are even scattering everywhere, okay? And they're getting hunted, and they're getting hunted by this guy, Saul of Tarsus. Now, he's no average guy. This is Gamaliel's awesome high-level apprentice. This is a Pharisee uh, you know, bloodthirsty Pharisee. I mean, he wants people dead and he's passionate and he's hunting them and he's aggressive and he's wise and he's smart and he knows what he wants. He believes that Jesus and his followers are disobeying the Mosaic covenant. They're disobeying the things that his religious upbringing and rabbinic training has taught him and he is on the hunt to end this once and for all. And that's where Acts chapter nine begins. It says this, Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. You know, I wanna get real deep here, but if you look into the, the language, okay, of this and you look into some of the, the way the word order, order is used, you get the idea of this. I'll try to act it out. That's the idea, like he's breathing like a war horse uh, is underneath some of these words and every breath is, I'm gonna kill him, I'm gonna kill him, I'm gonna kill him. I mean, this guy is literally out of control, okay? And, and, and so he is hunting, he is coming like a war horse and he goes to the high priest and he asked for him the letters to the synagogue. Give me the letters to the synagogues at Damascus. What, 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 yeah, yeah, give me them. Yeah, there they are. Okay, these are letters to Damascus? Yeah, yeah, give me, I'm, I'm taking these. Uh, uh, okay, what, what was going on here? Well, these letters would give him the authority to extradite any Jews who were religious offenders that were outside of the Sanhedrin's jurisdiction. So if you tried to escape to get away from them, give me the letters. I'm gonna go get them. And, and so he, he found them, and this is what he wanted to do. This is the why, this is the why, the letter. So that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. That's the first kind of indicator of Christianity. It wasn't called Christianity at this time. Um, so, so when you heard the way, that was one of the first references um, or an early title to Christianity. Now, where did they come up with that? Do you remember who walked around going, I am the way, the truth, and the life? No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said, you're not getting there any other way than through me. <laughs> Who's this guy think he is, is what Saul felt. I mean, this is a heresy. The way? And anybody who follows the way, I'm gonna kill. And just picture that. <sighs> Now, when he went on his way, he approached Damascus. I, I threw up a little bit of a map here. In Damascus, you can see this road, okay, going up. He, he is approaching Damascus, and, and, and he's headed there quickly. It's a 135-mile journey, so it would take like a week, but he's, he's just hunting, right? He, it's a Roman province of Syria. Um, it's one of actually a league of 10. Um, this is what called um, a Decapolis up in this area. And so these were, it was one of 10 um, areas that was self-governing. So you can see why it would be wise for those who were fearful that they were going to be uh, persecuted to run there. It, it was wise. And, and so he's running, he's hustling. I mean, he's coming, he's coming. He's got his letters. He's gonna take them out. And then, boom. I mean, a shocking 
Shocking occurrence happens to him. I mean, he couldn't have, he could have no idea this was coming. Out of nowhere, this massive light appears. Scripture says, and suddenly a light from heaven shone all around him. I mean, bam! And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What? I mean, isn't Saul persecuting Christians? It's kind of like when Jesus sees his kids persecuted, he goes, why are you persecuting me? And, and, and he continues and he said, who, who are you, Lord? And, and this is more of a respectful phrase. It's almost like saying, who are you, sir? But, but note this, Saul was trained in pharisaical teaching. So he would understand that any kind of voice that he would hear must be divine. Who, are, who, who is this voice? Is this, is this Yahweh? Is it, what, what is this? And, and the voice says, I am Jesus. I am Jesus. Whom you are persecuting. I'm him. If you're Saul, you have been on the hunt to crush anyone who follows this Jesus. You, you, you made Stephen's martyr most likely happen. It seems that, that Saul orchestrated that whole thing. Stone him! He, he would have remembered this Jesus going around, crucified, calling himself the Messiah, and he's standing there. Have you ever talked bad about somebody um, accidentally and um, in their presence? They're standing there. What, what did you want to say? And it's almost like this, and I love this about Jesus. He's kind of like, um, when you hit one of my kids, you hit me. Every time I'm persecuted, I'm tempted to get selfish. <laughs> I actually, this turns into worship. <laughs> Be, because when I am persecuted for what I believe, Jesus goes, Chris, 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 Chris. They're not hitting you. They're hitting me. Jesus goes right to the root of what Saul's doing. Jesus doesn't wait for a reply. He says, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm gonna kill, this guy's gonna be told what to do? Yeah, Jesus is in complete control of this life now. And here's a couple notes I made of three things I kind of made notes of in this text. Um, there are times in life when we're interrupted by Jesus. Just interrupted. You notice he doesn't check every time if he wants to interrupt you? He didn't, no, hey, hey, hey uh, Saul, just a heads up, I'm gonna see you on the road to Damascus. Sometimes he does that, but, but he just showed up. Have you ever been interrupted? Young people out there, you ever been playing your sport? You think you're gonna play your sport forever? You're doing great, and then all of a sudden, you're, you're on the ground on a court, or you're out in the field laying there. There's people standing over you going, where does it hurt? And before you know it, you're at a hospital, and they're going, yeah, you tore your ACL. You've been interrupted. You know, if there have been times in life where um, you're going along fine, you feel like this little pain. Where do, what is that pain? Oh, maybe we should set up a doctor's appointment. And, and then you set up that doctor's appointment. A week goes by and you sit down next to the doctor and he says, hey, we got to talk a minute. What? 
been interrupted. And, and, and then there's that time where the phone rings and your hands shake because tragedy hits and you've been interrupted. We all get interrupted. We understand what being interrupted is. But for God's children, we know those interruptions are there because he has something he wants to do with us. Other people look at those interruptions and say, I hate God. How could he allow this? But Christians know he works all things out together for the good. So even when he interrupts, we know something's going to come of this. See, God interrupts us, kids, not to hurt us, but to transform us. Not to hurt us, but to transform us. Here he's dealing with a man who was dedicated to the Mosaic law, to the laws of the land and to being good at what he did as a Pharisee. Jesus interrupts him because he's gonna call him. You see, just like Jesus interrupts his kids, sometimes he interrupts those who are not his kids yet, out of nowhere. I know a dear friend of mine who came to Christ in a hospital bed after a car accident. He said, Chris, that was my wake up call. I was interrupted by Jesus. Interrupted. One year ago, exactly, it was Super Bowl Sunday, and I stood on the stage. I think we had 13, 1400 some people there that Sunday. And I was telling them a renew vision for the church. One year ago, I got interrupted. And in this past 10 to 12 months, I've shared this with you, church, I have never been more transformed in my spiritual life because I've never been more uncomfortable in my spiritual life than this past year. But he is transforming me and he's transforming you. See, it's the devil's trick when you get interrupted. God's not good. God's bad. Look how terrible he is. Walk away from this thing when it's actually maybe Jesus going, hey, I'm getting your attention. Well, the men were traveling with him and with him and they stood speechless. Because they heard the voice. Oh my word, really? Yeah, they heard the voice, but they saw no one. Kind of like, what, what, what just happened here? So Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, oh no, oh no, he saw nothing. He, he, he's blind. He's blind, he can't see. Whether the light was so powerful that it blinded him, or whether God or Jesus in his sovereignty said, you're not gonna see now, Either way, he can't see a thing. Complete blackness. Kids, have you ever put on a scarf and played those games where you wear the scarf and somebody kind of walks you around and you have to put all of your trust in them now because you can't see? He can't see anything. And so they had to lead him by the hand and, and they brought him into Damascus. I mean, I want you to picture this. <laughs> I'm gonna kill all these Christians. Bam, bam. Okay, where, where guys? Over here, come on, okay, give me your hand. I mean, this is the transformation that's going on here. And for three days, he was without sight and he neither ate nor drank. Was that from anxiety? Was that from the powerful light? I mean, was the light so powerful it took three days for his eyes to heal? Was this intentional by Jesus? I mean, there's a lot going on here, but I can see a man who was going from breathing threats to needing help, not being able to eat, and sitting and waiting for further instruction. The man who probably thought, I'm going to Damascus, I'm in control of my life, if all of a sudden, ready, ready? Humbled 
by Jesus. Humbled by Jesus. Have you ever been humbled? You know, they say it's better to be humbled than Jesus than to be humiliated. But see, Jesus doesn't do that with his kids. Jesus humbles us not to humiliate us, but to elevate us. And that's why he encourages us. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. So, so, so what? So what? He can lift you up. He can lift you up. Jesus is punishing me. And, and maybe there is a sin in your life that you need some discipline for, but there's times in your life where he's just going, you know what's probably best for you? <laughs> I, I was a camp counselor for years. I, I, I used to love to do that, um, especially in high school and then up. But, and I, I remember one group of boys, they were just messed with Every night when I go to bed, they'd come over with a flashlight and kind of put it in my eyes after my eyes had adjusted. Oh, man. I, and they thought it was the funniest thing ever. And so they'd be like, Chris, you'd hear him, Chris. I'd be like, what? I look, they hit me. <laughs> so so I, I devised a plan. I waited till they all laid down at night and um, I had gotten permission from the custodian to get all the lights in the cafeteria, okay? To turn them on at a certain time. So we positioned everybody correctly. We laid down and we demonstrated great patience. And these guys were goofing around stuff. All right, guys, all right, guys, all right, guys. And they're all laying there. I go, hey guys, do you see that on the ceiling? And they're like, what? No, I'm serious, everybody. Look up on the ceiling. Do you see that on the ceiling? And that was the indicator. Boom, all the lights come on. I mean, it even bothered me. Because our eyes had been dark, it had been adjusted, and bang, all these lights. And they were just laying there, and I had won the day, and people were doing the whole, oh, you know, all these things. And, and they were humbled for, for five minutes. But if you ever know what it's like to truly be humbled, you go from going, I don't need God, to fired. You don't have a job here anymore. You go from, hey, I can do whatever I want to your wife has something happened to her and it affects everything. You can go from, hey, it's so great. We got life going on. We're too busy. We're doing this, this, this. And then something happens to one of your children. Or we say things like, I, I'm the man. I'm the man on my team. And then you get left off the list that you wanted to be on. There's sometimes when we're humbled and, and, and sometimes it's just a result of going through a difficult world. But sometimes Jesus uses those times of humbling not to humiliate us, but to elevate us if we choose to humble ourselves. And Saul's instrumentation, he's humbling him because he's getting ready to exalt him and use him in massive ways. Now, now, there was a disciple of Damascus named Ananias. Seems to be a resident of, of Damascus. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here am I, Lord. I, lo I love all the Old Testament imagery going on here, right? And, and the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. He should be able to find that. The curved one? No, no, the street called Straight. It was the main thoroughfare of Damascus. And at the house of Judas, look for a man, Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. <laughs> Have you ever found very arrogant people when they go through tragedy, get humbled and are praying? He is praying and he's seen a vision. What? Yeah, Luke, the author of Acts is setting this up. He goes, I want you to understand what's going on here. God's orchestrating this awesome, awesome thing. 
There's a man named Adai who's come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So I see that God is sending people. He's showing people. He's sending Ananias. God's directing this whole thing. It's a theological word called providence where God is orchestrating the conversion of Saul, his chosen instrument. But Ananias said, eh, wait a minute, who'd you say? <laughs> Saul of Tarsus? I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done. And how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And I hear he has the authority of the chief. He's got letters to bind all who call on your name. I get you, Ananias. You're kind of thinking, I'm going to die if I deal with this Saul. Do you understand, God? Have you ever had to do that? God, do you understand? You ever feel like you have something to teach him? It doesn't work out too good. But, but it gives me this idea that Ananias and probably many other, th this guy is too far gone. This Saul of Tarsus is too far. Do you have, do you have somebody in your life that you go, that they're probably too far gone? I, I pray for their salvation, but <laughs> you don't understand. I don't even really, like God, I don't even really believe. If you pray without believing, the chances of you seeing that prayer come through, scripture tells me, are slim to none. We're to pray believing God wants to do something. And we leave the results up to him for we're not in control of the salvation process. But, but it made me think as I was reading through Ananias, is there anybody, this is a who have you? Who have you? Who have you been writing off? Does any name come to mind? Like, did you give up? You don't understand my dad. Oh my word, the older he gets, did, did, you gonna give up? I mean, his eternity hangs in the balance. We gotta be praying, right? I mean, who have I possibly written off? I mean, take a minute, just, just, anybody come to mind? But the Lord said to him, go, go. I, I know his past, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. You're gonna use a Pharisee to go, yes, and the kings, the children of Israel. He's my chosen instrument. I'm gonna use him. He's special. He's special. He's unique. He's gonna be so impactful. For I will show him how much he must suffer. Don't worry. A man reaps what he sows. Saul's gonna suffer for the sake of my name. His past will be a motivator. His past will be a, an aspect of even part of his suffering. It's almost like God saying to Ananias, I, I feel you, I understand. This guy has done a lot of harm. You have seen people you dearly love attacked and beaten by this man. But, but I'm gonna use him. So Ananias obeyed. I love Ananias. And he departed and entered into the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, hear this, brother Saul, hear the love, brother Saul. I mean, I wonder if Ananias' hand's shaken. I wonder if he's like, we're good, right? <laughs> bro bro brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me. He's already seen this. Saul's been praying. He's seen this in a vision by God so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? Filled with the Holy Spirit? This is the first time 
Luke uses the phrase filled with the Holy Spirit of someone outside of Israel. The gospel is going to go out through this chosen instrument. I mean, how many, how many people is this Saul going to impact? I mean, how many people is this Saul going to impact in his life? And look what happens. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. Oh, it's like Jesus and the blind man. Scales have fallen from his eyes and he regained his sight. And then he arose and he was baptized. Saul? Yeah. And, and taking food, he was strengthened. And for some days he was with the disciples in Damascus. He went from charging up the hill to Damascus going, I'm going to get him, to interrupted by Jesus. To humbled by Jesus. And now empowered by Jesus, empowered by Jesus. Grace saves us from a life without God. Even more, it empowers us for life with God, Richard Foster. Grace saves us from life without God. Even more, it empowers us for life with God. Grace saves us from being useless. Grace saves us from being useless. Look at this, look at this. What kind of instrument is that? Grace saves us from being useless, but without God, from life without God. But even more, it empowers us for life with God. Interrupted. Look at these three. Interrupted, humbled, and empowered. That may be true for someone who doesn't know Christ today listening, but that might be also true for you, child of God, that you may need to be interrupted or maybe you have been interrupted, maybe even humbled. Maybe it's time to remember the empowerment you've been given by him. Maybe it's time for you to first come to that moment in your life where you're empowered by him because this is what scripture says. Saul increased his strength. I mean, he just get, he get, he get, get more and more. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately he proclaimed in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. What? He went from killing people, killing Stephen for claiming Jesus, the son of God, to being the very mouthpiece that goes, he's the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed. And they said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem? of those who called upon his name. And he has not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. I mean, this guy is a chosen instrument that is now empowered to do a great and mighty work for God. You know, in my house, there's been a different chosen instrument. Growing up, my father pretty much never went a day without playing this. In fact, I still go over to my parents' row home in Percocet, and my dad will be on the violin. Now, this isn't his. I don't think he'd let me bring out his violin to the stage. But I think of, I think of Saul who would be renamed Paul 
as this beautiful chosen instrument that would do so much good. And, and so often we're tempted to say, look at what Paul did. But see, it wasn't Paul, it was something else. Paul was a rebel, an angry man, killing people and hurting people, a Pharisee of Pharisees, prideful, arrogant, interrupted, humbled, and empowered by Jesus. There's a poem by Myra Brooks that speaks of a chosen instrument. "'Twas battered and scarred in the actioneer thought, it hardly worth his while to waste his time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. I thought it fitting to breed another poem on Fanny Crosby's day. When am I to bid, good people, he cried. Who starts the bidding for me? One dollar? One dollar? Do I hear two? Two dollars? Who makes it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three. But no. From the room far back, a gray-bearded man came forward and picked up a bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin, he tightened the strings, played a melody, pure and sweet, as the angels sing. The music ceased and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, what am I now to bid for this old violin as he held it aloft with its bow? One thousand, one thousand, do I hear two? Two thousand, who makes it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, going, going, gone, said he. The audience cheered, but some of them cried. We just don't understand. What changed its worth? Swift came the reply. Ah, it was the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune, all battered and bruised with hardship, is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd, much like that old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a gay man he travels on. He's going once, he's going twice, he's going, he's almost gone. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. I don't know where you're at today, but God can change your life. And maybe he needs to interrupt you, even humble you. But guess what? He wants to empower you to do great things for him. Would you desire to call upon his name? He changed Saul to one of the most beautiful instruments of all time, because of his conversion and with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, you now hear things like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We're familiar with, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Paul wrote all these incredible verses inspired by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You could almost read his name. The Saul is passed away. Behold, the Paul has come. 
Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Love is patient. Love is kind. The war horse wrote that? Jesus changed him. Love's patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Love never fails. Indeed, he wrote, I can count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. A chosen instrument used by God, changed by God. I have no idea where I'd be without the Holy Spirit's use of the Apostle Paul. Definitely one of my heroes of scripture. And without his truth, I don't even know if I'd enjoy preaching. I love his epistle so much. His testimony says to anybody out there today, Jesus can call anyone. God set me apart even in my mother's womb, he wrote in Galatians 1.15. Jesus can humble anyone. <laughs> Philippians 2.10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, he wrote. Jesus can forgive anyone. In Philippians, he wrote to the church in Philippi and said, forgetting what lies behind, I reach forward to what lies ahead. Stop letting your past hold you back. He wants a fresh start with you. Jesus can use anyone. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, this guy, Saul, now Paul says, be imitators of me just as I am an imitator of Christ. What a changed man. Jesus can change anyone. Philippians 1.8, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ. That's Paul writing to believers. The guy who wrote, I'm gonna get him in Damascus, is writing, oh, my affection for you is filling me up. Do you want to change? Have you noticed you can't do it? Have you noticed how many a times you've tried to say, I want to be more this, I want to be this, and you can't? You need him. You need Jesus. You need his empowerment. But I promise you, child of God, if you're out there, he wants to use you. And I pray for anybody out there who knows it's time to give their life to Christ. Before you leave today, there's people who say, Chris, you're breaking my heart because I have accepted Christ, but there's people in my family. They need to get interrupted. They need to be humbled because I would love to see them if they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. Oh, what they could do. I don't want you to give up. I don't want you to quit. I put here for some application, how do you pray for a Saul? We all might know one that even if you bring up Jesus, they're like, oh, I won't talk about that stuff. You know, Paul <laughs> in scripture gives you a way to pray evangelistic prayers. I call it the reinforcement prayer. I'll just leave you with this. 
He, he writes in Colossians 4, 2 through 4, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Who's he talking to? He's imprisoned at this time. And he's saying, I need reinforcement prayer because I'm gonna keep preaching the gospel. And he says, at the same time, pray also for us that God might open a door to us for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I might make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. And from that text, I've drawn out three ways you can pray for a Saul in your life. Three ways. Persistently, specifically, and thankfully. That's coming from Saul, who came to Christ on the road to Damascus. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Continue specifically. Being watchful means vigilant, specific, target an area, and do it thankfully. Paul's saying, you get out your chosen instrument, prayer, and you reinforce it persistently. Not, I, I did that last week. And you just keep coming. And, and, and then do it specifically. You know where the spot's at? Yeah, this area right here. Keep getting that, reinforce it. Have you ever put in like five screws in one area? Just reinforce that. Keep going. Lord, Lord, they're arrogant to your truth because they've been hurt by people. Lord, Lord, heal their wounded heart. Bring somebody into their life. Okay, who, who, oh, oh, I'm gonna pray that. Bring someone into their life and you get specific and you keep reinforcing that and keep coming because that's what Paul told us. I want you to keep persistently, specifically, and what? Thankfully. There's a dear chosen instrument in our church years ago who's gone on with the Lord. She finished all her prayers by saying this. And we thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer and answering it. She believed with all her heart that God wanted to answer her prayers. And it impacted her prayer life. Chosen instrument. If you're here today, and like Fanny Crosby, you're not sure. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, there's somebody sitting watching this today who lacks assurance. There's somebody here today listening that lacks assurance. Lord, there's Lord, there's somebody who needs to get right with you right now. This sermon has been an interruption. There's something that got said in the text today that humbled them. And they so desperately desire your empowerment because without you, they're walking around like a drill without a battery pack. They need your strength. I pray they would pray this with me. Jesus, be my savior. You've interrupted me. I'm on my knees and I'm asking you to be my savior. Forgive me of my sin. I want to be your child. I want a changed life. And I want to be a chosen instrument in the master's hands. Take me. I'm yours this day. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe you can have blessed assurance. We want to conclude our service with a few songs from Fanny Crosby, and I pray you enjoy this ladies' trio 
as they give us a little medley of some of her best. God bless. Have a great Sunday. Hey, church, whatever, whenever, however.